This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school. Kinichiwa, and you are very welcome to the Left Wing Daily, independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Keen Tracy, and I'm delighted to say we have a very special show lined up for you today. After holding court for the first few days, along with Rory O'Connor, who is again beside me today, we're delighted to welcome our new guest for the coming weeks, Jonathan Bradley from the Belfast Telegraph. Jonathan, Yokoso. Thanks very much. Glad to finally join us. Do you know what that means welcome? That's my fourth word now. We all know that, Keen. We've had to re-record this because you forgot to say it the first time. Lads, you're really you're, you're really being harsh on my, my Japanese. I'm I'm struggling here, but I, I I am up to four words now. Uh, Jonathan, yeah, you're very welcome. You arrived yesterday. First impressions? Yeah, it's uh, obviously very very different. It's uh, just whenever you come into uh, Tokyo, one of the things that I certainly first noticed was just the Rugby World Cup stuff everywhere. I think like whenever you're doing probably like Six Nations games and you go to say cover a game in London or cover a game in Paris, like. When you're in such a big city, it can get swallowed up sometimes that there's the rugby's even happening. But like you come out at uh, Shibuya, and the first thing you see is uh, Michael Leach towering over you from 50 floors up, and uh, the Hachiko dog statue wearing a, a Brave Blossoms jersey and stuff. So it seems certainly initially that uh, people have really got into it in Tokyo. Yeah, it's pretty cool actually that, that you say that because, Rod, I think our experience of arriving was a bit different. Jonathan, you missed Chiba. Yeah, you really, you really missed. I, 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 I assume, <laughs> you, I assume you've been listening to our, our daily briefs from from the wonderful surrounds of Chiba. But we arrived into Tokyo and immediately left, like in a car to go out to Chiba. And the only thing that you could kind of see at the, the arrivals was a, a picture of poor Devon Toner. Um, and I think there was an Australian one there, Michael Hooper, maybe. But yeah, it's actually great to hear that Tokyo has kind of bought into it. We've been in and around the city. I have to say, I haven't seen as much as th- that, that prominence myself, but you're obviously staying in there now at the moment, so you're very much on the ground. Um, it's a mad kind of city, though, as well, isn't it? It's certainly uh, difficult enough to navigate yourself around uh, initially. Difficult to find Scotland's hotel this morning, which resulted in an aborted attempt to get my first press conference yeah, in. One press, one pre- one press <laughs> conference attempted, one missed. <laughs> It's a good start. Yeah, well, we've all well, we've all had our troubles with the press conferences. I turned up to Japan the other day, and there was no translator, so you can only get better from here. Um, but Rod, the, the, we mentioned it on yesterday's podcast. Um, the games are getting closer, and I guess Ireland have a, a day off today, don't they? So we're kind of trying to catch our breath, hoping that you know today might be a day to actually get some proper work done and focus on what's coming ahead this weekend. Yeah, I mean, they've got a nice day for it. It's, it's uh, pretty warm, pretty, uh, pretty it's a beautiful day in Yokohama. And um, talking to the players last night, I think they were fairly low-key plans for the day. I think it was more about getting a bit of food, a bit of recovery. I think they'll 
their plan is probably to get these two games over, hopefully get two wins, and then maybe experience a bit of the life. I mean, we were talking to Josh van der Fleer, and he's um, he's been here before. He was here two years ago. Because I think a lot of them feel like they've kind of done the touristy stuff and they're here for business. But um, yeah, no, it's it's nice to uh, have a bit of time to breathe. It's been fairly relentless. And then tomorrow, because we're in Yokohama, the two biggest games of the opening weekend, apart from the first game, which is up the road in Tokyo, I think you're going up to Akeen, um, the Box are here, the All Blacks are here, uh, Ireland are here naming their team, and then the Scots are on in Tokyo up the road, um, and hopefully you might try and, try and get in for that as well, because it'll be a pretty relentless day, but it really does start to feel real when you start seeing the teams roll in from all the other teams, and um, you know we're gearing up nicely to that big game tomorrow. Yeah, I guess just to give uh, any listeners who are maybe on their way over or who will be here for the games this weekend, Yokohama seems like a, a pretty cool uh, c- cool city, doesn't it? Um, I think the best way I would describe it as it was kind of like a mini version of, of Tokyo, which is obviously still absolutely massive. We're staying right on the edge of Chinatown, which is pretty cool. We had a bit of food there yesterday. Um, the team are kind of based further away in the in the Bay Area, but... We got out last night. Eventually, when we got the work done, it was uh, an interesting. You just got to be careful where you choose. Um, we were walking. Uh, yeah, got finished up at ten o'clock in the team hotel. Everything's still open, which was which is great. And uh, we spotted a place that looks nice and walked across. We were with uh, one of our colleagues, a prominent member of the Irish Rugby Media, who, won't, who no will names. not be named because he led the charge <laughs> down the stairs and. Uh, <laughs> Suddenly, he jumped into your arms because he saw a rat running across, and we fairly reversed ferret out of it. But uh, we ended up finding somewhere nice. It is, yeah, no, it is. It's it's a uh, much nicer than Chiba, and it, I don't know if you can hear if the mics are picking up the foghorns in the background. But it's a pretty busy port. There's um, they certainly picked him up. To, or I could hear him this morning early on, so it was just, it was quite a wake up call that we got. Yeah, and it's simple. I mean, and it, like it's a baseball town as far as I can see. There's a big stadium in town. I think the t- local team played last night. But it's going to be uh, the rugby capital of the world this weekend because uh, it's got two absolutely massive games. And I think we're going to, I want to hopefully watch the Japan Russia game here on, from the fan zone. Um, I know you're going to it. And then we've got the box in New Zealand. Like we're starting to see a lot more uh, Western faces around the place. You know, people arriving in to support their teams at the weekend. A couple of Irish fans we saw last night. Um, and yeah, things are ramping up. Yeah, Jadid, I think you're going to go to the opening game as well, aren't you? I, I guess. am, yeah. And having just arrived, you know, you can you can actually just get straight into it. You haven't had to deal with the the last few days, not just in Chiba, but the sort of rampant breaking stories. But it could be a sign of things to come, I guess. Well, that's the thing. I didn't realise that when I was coming out a few days late, you boys were going to have a whole World Cup's worth of work done by the time <laughs> I got there. It seemed like uh, every time I looked at my phone, there was something else going on for you. But... I think especially that certainly when I arrived yesterday, then you started to see the the first teams filter through and with that Japanese team named named yesterday, it really does sort of ramp up the excitement for that first game. I think obviously we're all expecting Japan to do probably do a number on Russia just given given the way that Russia have gone so far this summer, even without Mafia and without Fukuoka playing. Yeah, I I mean Keane did a piece on, on Japan in today's Irish Independent and it's uh you know, teeing up the the hosts and, and you know, everything they've done over the last year, taking all the players out of Super Rugby, basically putting them in the in the uh, Sunwolves B team and then giving them game time when they needed it. Jamie Joseph has had I mean, Joe Schmidt has great control over his players, but he still has to watch them play Champions Cup rugby, mm-hmm. you know, nine times a year, six, nine times a year, depending on which province they're with. You know, that he must have watched that Ulster Leinster quarterfinal through gridded, you know, grid, I was going to say gridded eyes, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the physicality of watching Dan Levy getting taken out that day, you know, that's that 
didn't happen to the Japanese. Obviously, they have a couple of injuries, but he's had complete control over them. I spoke to Mark McDermott in a piece that's gone in tomorrow's paper. Uh, he's an Irish coach who's uh, on, on the, the backroom team with Russia. And they held Japan. They were actually leading Japan after 60 minutes, I think, in King's home last year in a game in November. They felt they were pretty close to them. Um, but I think in the, in the last year, Japan have moved moved ahead. They're, they look like a real serious proposition and a team that will make this pool very, very interesting. Russia only have two players based uh, outside of Russia in that Russian league. We've seen what Connacht have done. The NSI Connacht actually beat the Russian national team in like a couple of weeks ago. Well, yeah. So they're in, a, in for a tough couple of weeks. They've got Fazar Temiev, who I think people will remember from UCD and, and Black Rock. But um, they say they're not here to make up the numbers. They're, they say they're out to get their first World Cup performance they know the eyes of the world is upon them you know this is going to be the, one of the biggest watched or the most view, viewed rugby matches of all time because of the amount of Japanese people who will be tuning in they don't want to embarrass themselves I think they'll put up something for about 50-60 minutes and then Japan will have the fitness yeah I, I'd be surprised if they got to 50-60 to be honest um, World Rugby have been kind to I think Japan it's fair to say as well given them this, this game to open it in obviously then they have an, an extra day uh, or two days actually compared to Ireland going into the Ireland game so if Japan do get, you know, a decent win, they don't have to hammer them, but if they get a convincing win, you can imagine, your, Jonathan, you mentioned about Tokyo already sort of buying into it, you can imagine the people getting behind them, and with Ireland having those couple of days rests, it's already a dangerous game, but it could become even more dangerous. Yeah, especially, as you say, if they get the win that I think we all expect them to get, and you can even see maybe with that team selection, I think if Japan were playing Ireland or they were playing Scotland, I think we'd see Mafi in there, who's probably their best player really um, he's been given the extra time to come back in for that for that Ireland game and it, it's going to be interesting I think what way Japan approach it they're probably going to I would say look at what happens on Sunday as well and m maybe look say if Scotland if Scotland were to lose maybe they target that the mm. Scotland game last up because obviously while they'll have the extra time compared to Ireland Whenever that last game rolls around, I think Scotland have the four-day turnaround from having played Russia. So if they have lost to Ireland and are then sort of behind the eight ball trying to make it make up the numbers again, it's going to be very tough for them to go again four days later against Japan. Yeah, Rod, that's something we've kind of mentioned for the last couple of weeks. that We would expect that regardless of what happens in the Ireland game this weekend, that there will be a couple of changes for Joshua purely because of the options that he has. I know injuries will play a part, but we've had, I guess, a few more hours to dissect what we believe will be the Ireland team this weekend. Um, I'm sure everyone is well aware of it now, but it, it, it sounds like uh, Andrew Conway is going to be full back with Jordan Armour on the wing. Um, what, what, what are we expecting, do you think, this weekend? From Ireland? From Ireland, yeah. Well, I think the weather's going to dictate an awful lot, and, and the weather appears to be very changeable. Um, the latest from the Ireland camp, who seem to have better apps than the rest of us, is that uh, the rain has moved to Saturday, which is going to um, impact the New Zealand-South Africa game. It's going to impact France and Argentina, which could be an absolute physical nightmare. I'd say, you know, it's one of those games that World Rugby are going to be watching through, um, not just wincing watching it because, you know, it's going to be so physical. Um, but then the word is that the rain is going to clear and then it's going to be quite windy but but dry on Sunday. Now, like we're right on the seafront here. It, the, the weather is changeable. It's going to be, um, I think, right up to the last minute that we, that we don't know. So I think that, sorry, what we're going to see from Ireland will be dictated from that. I think the game we see will be dictated from that. Look, from eight, one, to eight, 1 to 10, it's the first choice team. Outside that, they've got problems. So the sensible thing to do is to tighten up. And I think they, they will back their physicality against Scotland. 
they would back their ability to win the ball quickly. They back their ability to make Scotland make errors on their attack in those conditions. Even if it has dried up, it's going to be windy and wet. They've the better half-backs. Why not trust them, start kicking well? They've obviously been keeping stuff in reserve that they haven't used, I think, particularly around the kicking game. And we're going to see a lot more kind of, uh, probably more, a lot more boxes, a lot more, uh, you know, clever kicks in behind. They'll use Sexton's boot. I think that's what we're kind of expect to see. But Jonathan, like, what, what do you reckon we're going to see from, from Scotland? Because we've almost been on Ireland duty so much this week, we've, we haven't got it got away from it and, and seen Scotland you know what, what's your sense of what they're going to bring well I think that's that's the thing really because you're talking about it and while none of us believe that Scotland have the consistency to win the World Cup I know Stuart Hogg maybe disagreed whenever he was speaking to the media yesterday they don't have the consistency to win the World Cup but that's no consolation to Ireland if they do produce one of the performances that they can on Sunday and completely derail things for Ireland look Scotland are actually quite a low turnover team statistically and obviously they're you know we all know that Gregor Townsend wants them to be the fastest team in the world and he's come out and said that before so in a lot of ways I think the bad weather would probably suit Ireland better and it's a it's a good point that you make there about one through ten this being Ireland's first choice team because that's where they're going to look to win this game because even just physically Scotland probably can't match Ireland in that regard and that's the best way for Ireland to go about winning this game and like even you mentioned the kicks in behind you know watching Scotland throughout the summer there's an awful lot put on Stuart Hogg in terms of his decision making that they can get quite narrow and leave it up to him whether he comes into the line or whether he feels the ground in behind and that's probably where the kicking game in behind comes in for Ireland trying to target that as well. You've, you've both mentioned the weather and like weather talk is usually quite boring and Rod you mentioned that, that Joe Schmidt and his coaching team seem to have different weather apps everything else but the weather the weather forecast people really earn their, their, their crust over here because every day since we've arrived I was thinking about it this morning th the weather has been drastically different every day when you think about it like you mentioned it's quite warm today Yesterday when we arrived in Yokohama, it was absolutely bucketing down. The day before it was warm, the day before that it was raining. So it does change very, very quickly here, doesn't it? And you, you talked about the, the backs there and the, the space in behind, but it'll make the set piece quite interesting, Jonathan. This is something that we talked about in Carton House, um, the line-out in particular, Rory Best. Um, it looks like Ian Henderson will start alongside James Ryan, and if so, I think would we all agree that Ian Henderson would probably be the one to to call the lineout. So, it's it's the one thing that you were saying on the podcast when we last had you on that he needed really to to grab hold of that and make that kind of calling position his own, especially now without Devon Toner. I think obviously with um, with Gregor Townsend as well, a huge part of what Scotland do to launch their attacks comes off their lineout as well. So it is a really important area of the game for both sides. Um, whenever I was on the last time, I mentioned Johnny Gray and just how disruptive he can be. To, to Ireland's lineout if they give him the chance. So it's really, really important that Ian Henderson calls a good game in that lineout. He'll have the jumpers, there'll be options, but we've seen that before and it maybe didn't necessarily work. So there's a huge amount being put on him in terms of his calling, yeah. I think one thing just, I mean, to, to go broader again over the overall pool, Samoa don't play this weekend, but I think they're going to do damage in this pool. I, I've, I think one team will probably, I think Ireland will probably win this pool with a bit to spare, but I think Japan, Scotland and Samoa are going to be taking points off each other. And I think it's going to be really, really interesting right up to the end. I mean, Ireland's results will probably have massive impact on other teams. 
you know, if they get past Scotland, I think they'll beat Japan and they'll be okay. And they've got the longest turnaround for Samoa. They've got loads of time to kind of either rest up or, you know, you know, and be ready for that game. And Joe Schmidt will pick them apart. But they're big men who just seem to be finding form at just the right time. You watch that game against Australia, Keen. They're, um, like they're, go- th- they're going to do damage in more ways than one. These guys, uh, like, you know, they are absolutely massive. Um, we saw it like, when Ireland played Fiji that time, and who are also a massive team, and Joey Carberry broke his arm in that game. So th- they're going to make, I think they're going to do a bit of damage in more ways than one. Yeah, they don't have the support the Fiji have. They haven't had the kind of block of work over four to eight years the Fiji have. They don't have the... Be- Fiji, uh, just talking to Dan Leo, who's the former Samoa International, who's in charge of Pacific Welfare, he was like, Fijian players are in fashion, and European clubs are all over Europe have pick them up where the Samoan players maybe aren't getting the exposure. But when you look at their team, you look at their squad, they have really good ball carriers. They're starting to get a structure. Their lineup's terrible, but their scrum is unbelievably destructive. Um, that could be because Japan, I know that Japan beat them in the Pacific Cup, but they've had a bit of time together. I just think that they're the team that no one's talking about. And over the course of these four, these, these five teams, I don't think Russia can do anything really. I think everyone will pick up five points against them. But I think when you're looking at interesting games over the next five, four, three or four weeks, that last game between Scotland and, and Japan is going to be, like, I could all come down to that, and it's going to be really, really interesting. And it might be one of the results against Samoa that really, uh, I think I think Samoa and Japan are both looking at Scotland as, as the vulnerable ones, yeah. um, which, you know, they, they won't like it all to hear, but I think you can see why as well. I think there's probably a real danger of judging Samoa on their form in that PNC because, you know, they essentially met in the airport and then went to play the games, you know, whereas now they've had that block of time together and you can see them building. And they were just a far, far better organised team against Australia than they were previously in the summer because they had looked a bit of a rabble probably early on. But I don't think you can judge them on that now because they've had the one thing that they don't normally have, and that's time. Yeah, I guess the the biggest game of the weekend, unquestionably, is the All Blacks Springboks. Um, it's just gone midday here and the All Blacks have named their team um, probably along expected lines, but there's no Rico Ioanni in the 23, and I know he he hasn't been in great form, but it's just another reminder of the absolute insane depth that the All Blacks have, isn't it? And um, we were chatting to two Kiwis who were over for actually just for this game, and um, when we were in Pisali actually the other night, um, like we said, make sure you check that out if you're if you're in Tokyo. And it was amazing. Like they, they had rattled off the all, what the All Blacks team would be. And I was just looking at it there that it's exactly what they had said. So I guess like from being far, far removed from the camp, I, I, I thought they might revert back to Ben Smith at fullback and put Bowden Barrett back at 10. But they've gone with the Richie Mwanga and Bowden Barrett, uh, double playmaker, which what, what do you reckon about that, Rod? I mean, I'm surprised. Well, Look, they play in rain more than anyone else. I mean, the, the conditions that they play Super Rugby in, in and on, on Mitre 10 or whatever it's called now, you know, they're used to these conditions. They play the conditions better than anyone else. But it is supposed to be absolutely horrendous here on Saturday night. Um, it'll probably suit them better because of they're used to it. You know, the box of a lot of European-based players, they're, it's nothing new to them either. Um, but I would be surprised if Ben Smith isn't there, isn't a fullback. I, 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 thought, I know the double pivot is something they're going for. I can see why. But you know, in it, it, later on in the tournament, maybe. But right now, when you want to beat the Springboks, I mean, it's a pretty confident move. It just shows that they feel like they are that they've got it right. But uh, yeah, I'd see it as a risk. I mean, I, I've thought, I've felt like the box were going to win this game for a long way out. The conditions maybe change that. Um, but then again, Faf de Klerk and Andre Pollard are unbelievable. Uh, you know, controllers of a game and the 
the Springbok Park are going to relish just running into lads in, the, in those conditions. Yeah, Rod said it's a risk, Jonathan, but I guess it's probably a calculated risk and we're not talking about, we're talking about two probably of the best tens in the world and I think you'd have to admire Steve Hansen because it's obviously a game plan that he's devised from a long way out because if Damien McKenzie had been fit, I think he might have been the one who would have played 15 and you would have had that double playmaker. Obviously, unfortunately, for every neutral that one of the best players in the world is ruled out, but they're obviously sticking to this game plan and he feels like this is the way to go in, in this World Cup. Well, it's something that we're going to see at this World Cup from England, even with Scotland, if you bring Hogg into the equation with Russell. But it's... Personally, I think it would also be a risk to revert to Barrett at 10 because then who's your goal kicker? You know, we've seen these past three games between these sides. They've scored exactly the same amount of points, zero points between them in the last three games. This is the kind of thing that could come down to a kick. And as much as he is probably the best if best player in the world, top three best players in the world, it would be a huge risk to have that in those conditions on Barrett's shoulders because he's shown before that he's not not always capable of making those kicks. Speaking of the big decisions at 10, the France team just came out there in the last few minutes as well, and I see they've gone back to Entomac at 10, um, which is really exciting, but <laughs> I, I thought I thought Lopez was going to be, the, I was sure he was going to be the starting 10 coming into this World Cup, and even Vakitawa is starting in the centre, a player who, when they picked their World Cup squad, they decided wasn't good enough, and now all of a sudden he's starting in the first game. So... While we do always say it, like like long live the French. Like I mean, there's just there's never a dull moment here. That but game could be anything. Like, yeah. that, like I think it's going to be brutal, br- yeah. you know, sheer brutality. I think France, you know, just once every four years they they get a chance to be together for a long period of time. They get a chance to do proper strength and conditioning work. They look in great nick. I know their their warm ups were mixed, um, but I think like I think France, Argentina, and England is some combination of of, of uh, teams to have in one pool with Tonga there who are. You know, pretty disorganised and, and not very good, but still able to do damage in the tackle. Um, France Argentina, they both need to win this game because I think, you know, it, it would be. I think while they could both take England scalp, I don't think they will. So I think you know this may even be the, that decider of who comes second in that pool. Yeah, I mean, just to Jonathan rattle off this backline because while we might laugh, I I think this is like this is the way to go for them. But who knows if they'll actually stick with it? Dupont, Entomac. Vakitawa, um, Fiku in midfield, Huje and D- Damien Penno, who has the potential to really light this World Cup up with Maidar at fullback. So Ramos is on the bench. There's a lot of quality in that backline. Yeah, I am surprised because I did think I did think it would be Lopez, just given how well he played, just given how well France played whenever they had Lopez and Dupont. It looked like they'd finally finally settled on a halfback pairing, and then you get to the World Cup and it's it's changed. So obviously. Typically, typically French in that way, but yeah, like you rattle off those names, and it's a quality outfit. This is probably probably the second most intriguing game of the weekend, really, after the All Blacks in Scotland, because like I think it's a one point. You sport. can't say that this is an Irish this is an Irish podcast. Well, sorry. <laughs> I, so the only re- the only reason that I don't think the Ireland game is that intriguing is because I think they'll win handily enough. Very confident. Ooh, Ooh that's big. I'm, I I do think. When you rattled off those names, I was like, "Oh, he's not great in defence. He's not, he's not great in defence." And Jesus, but this is French rugby here. We just wa- we just want to like I mean, that, like we just want to see Joy de Viva, Rod. I know, but 
that's even worse than your, your uh, Japanese pronunciation. <laughs> Come on, like, really, Jesus, be serious. You're a serious, serious work to be done. He's a serious um, linguistic, so you better be careful if you, if, you need um, to, yeah. if you need to use any foreign language, you got to make sure your pronunciation is correct. That's Absolutely. the one thing that we, we, we demand high standards. I, like, Argentina, if, look, look the condition, I know we keep going back to the weather, but I think it is going to be a massive factor. If Argentina got dry ball against that back line, they'd absolutely shred them. I, they've got such pace. I mean, there's, there's bad decision, defensive decision makers across that back line, um, but they're unbelievable when you get them the ball. Like, I just go back to that game in Twickenham when England just made them look like an absolute rabble. They should be better organised now. But uh, I think you're right. I think it is, you know, Irish Irish interest aside, it probably is. It's like that, That's some super Saturday of, of opening day rugby. Um, even Australia, Fiji's on beforehand. I know it's going to be very early back home. I doubt, you know, people might want, want, want to tape that and come up. Keane's breaking news. He's got the Australia team. Won't be breaking for anyone back home. Oh no, that, yeah, not everyone's be bombarded by information <laughs> in the morning. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's great though. I mean, look, this is this is the third game of the the Saturday. You mentioned Fiji earlier. It's about five o'clock back home or something, though, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but all the yards will be up for that. Or I'll stay up. Yeah. And yeah, Jonathan, Australia, they're gone back to the Hooper-Pocock dynamic in the back row. We've, we've seen it work before. Are you surprised to see it back again? Or what do you make for two, two class players, I guess, but they're trying to make, fit them both in? Well, you know, we saw it, saw it at the last World Cup and it was effective, effective then. Pocock hasn't played an awful lot of rugby at all, but once he came back in for that final warm-up test, I think that was, that was the real sign that they were going to go for it again. And obviously in that game... The breakdown is going to be so important because they're not going to want to give uh, Fiji quick mm. ball because if they do, it could be chaos for them. Look, look at the feet, sir. Just got the Fiji back line here. I mean, that is one of the best back lines. I mean, Volavola is a bit dodgy at 10. Yeah, th- that's but the one thing they're missing, isn't it? A good but I mean, Tuasova, I mean, Botti in the midfield, Radraj on the other wing. I mean, there is quite like they're basically the most exciting players from every team in Europe. Yeah. Um, you know, I just. That scattered across the back line they've got. I mean, I know there's a couple like Gonovas on the bench. They've a couple of players obviously missing because they, they, you know, their clubs basically said, you know, inside their contract they woke up. But I mean, you know, with Nakarawan in the second row as well, that game could be just pure entertainment. Yeah. Because uh, the Aussies play. I know the Aussies are quite physical, but they've got a couple of Fijians in their team as well. And I'm sure it's going to be a really emotional day for them. Um, it's that's got like that's three unbelievable games on uh, on Saturday before we even get to Ireland Scotland on Sunday. Yeah, I think it, it, it's it probably be important to mention as well. Christian Leilifano is starting starting ten for Australia. I mean, before a ball has been kicked at this World Cup, this is the story of, of the World Cup. I mean, isn't it? But it's absolutely amazing to see a guy who's you know battled back from leukemia. Um, obviously went to Ulster. Jonathan, you would have seen him a lot. Like. like as as good of a move as it was for him going to Ulster, it really did work both ways because he got his career back on track in Belfast and a few months later now here he is starting in Australia's World Cup opener. It's just incredible and I was up there interviewing him one time, just comes across as such a good fella and I know a lot of the younger players having spoken to them up in Ulster have, you know, said about the, the impact that he made in such a short period of time. But just from your own experience, like what was he like and you must be delighted to see him starting as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, as you say, like I think that is the story of the story of the World Cup. Really, like he arrived into Ulster very, very late in the preseason and basically you know, got off the plane, came to came to Kingspan Stadium, and he made this presentation uh, presentation to the other players straight off the bat, and he had sort of like um, pictures of. Him and his uh, him and his son Jeremiah, just when he was starting to lose his hair and everything, and it really um, it got some of the guys quite emotional and really sort of brought home for them what he had been through. Because I think 
whenever they had heard he was coming over, it was like, yes, he's had leukemia, but he's over that now. But sort of just the way that he addressed it and approached it really, um, really hit home for guys, just what he had been through and what he was giving up to come here in um, Australia. Because obviously it was his pre-season there, but he just wanted to come and play rugby. He was only there for four or five months, but you talk to any of the guys and he made such, such a big impact because it would be very easy in that short space of time to really just come in, do a job and leave again. But um, as you say, the, like, the work that he did with the young, the young out halves and just the impression that he made on the senior players in the squad as well. Yeah, it would be absolutely amazing to, to see him go well. But, Rod, I think we should let Jonathan go and maybe do some work and then get some sleep and start kicking this jet like Probably get a World Cup prediction first. Who's going to win the whole thing? I think it's going to be England. England. I went with England before. I'm, I'm waning, but I suppose if I, better st- if I put it in print, I should stick with it. Who did you say again? I said New Zealand, and after my trip to their hotel the other day, I'm definitely sticking. Very taken with the blacks. Yeah, I just... It was Ian Foster who said it was kind of saying that oh everyone is talking about the Springboks and they love that and Ireland are now r- ranked number one. I mean, you can't ev- you can't say they're they're underdogs, but they like the fact that they're kind of coming in a little bit under the radar. And yeah, I think I think this this weekend will be epic. It I, I don't necessarily think the winners of this match will actually win the World Cup, but it could be either the two of them. Well, you might see both of them play again later yeah, in the exactly, final. Yeah. You know, but um, yeah, thanks for joining me, lads. And Jonathan, go kick that jet leg. I'll do my best. Cheers. <laughs> The Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school.